0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. In this episode, Cameron and I take on the question of keeping the Sabbath. Is the fourth commandment still in effect, or has it been fulfilled and done away with by Christ? What did Jesus mean when he said the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around? we'll tackle these questions and much more as we think about what it means for God to have sanctified a day for human rest.
1: Well, in your current sermon series, Pastor Mark, you've been talking a little bit lately about how Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to abolish the law, and we had a, you know, that recent sermon Focus there, and we've been diving into the particulars lately. So I've been thinking about that notion, what it what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law. And for me anyway, when I think law, I immediately go to Ten Commandments. So I've been I've been kind of like thinking through one by one. What does it mean for Jesus to fulfill all of these? And that might be the wrong way to think about it, but what I want to talk about in, in this episode is the fourth commandment commandment about keeping the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath in particular. So the broad question is maybe, maybe there's two questions. One is, do we need to keep it if Jesus fulfilled it? And two, what would that look like? I I know, you know, I know that there are lots of perspectives here. Growing up, I, I had this experience where in the Lutheran church, it was kind of the Sabbath was this thing that, you know, it was Sunday, it was, the Sabbath was Sunday. You're you're supposed to keep it, but I, di- I didn't really know what that meant, but it meant something like, like whatever my mom felt like calling out, like you shouldn't be doing that thing on a, on a Sunday. That's usually what it meant. And, but it, we weren't very strict about it, you know? So like sometimes we'd be hanging out with friends, sometimes we wouldn't. And that was always a little strange to me because we would never do that with any of the other Ten or the other nine commandments, right? So there was there was no wiggle room with, say, murder. You know, we're not right. going to play with that, or 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 idols. You know, we're not we're not going to create idols. There's not like, oh well, okay, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So so I'm a little confused about how you know how does the Sabbath relate to those other commandments, and what does it mean that Jesus is fulfilling yet all of them together? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think the the first thing that we can think about is the idea that Jesus brings some sort of change to the Ten Commandments or to the law, right? He, he doesn't abolish it, but he does fulfill it, and so there is some kind of change. I think Edmund Clowney does a good job in his book, How Jesus Transformed the Ten Commandments, taking each one of those ten And showing in the New Testament how Jesus brings a transformation, not an abolishment. He he doesn't repeal those laws, but they do change. They do become fuller. We can appreciate them in different ways. And so I think for for anyone who's who's asking the big question about the impact of Jesus on the Ten Commandments, uh, I would highly recommend... Going back to Clowney's book and reading through that chapter by chapter, when we think about the Fourth Commandment in particular, I think you're right that there is something different there in the way that we treat the Fourth Commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, compared to the others. In fact, I think it's probably fair to say that if you were to poll contemporary Christians— a lot of people would give this as an example of Jesus fulfilling the law and in fulfilling it, kind of doing away with it, uh-huh. right? Because although in a sense, you know, we'll still say the fourth commandment is is in effect, practically speaking, we act as if it's not. And that now we, we're kind of left with just nine commandments and one kind of, piece of guidance, let's say, right. that it's kind of mysterious how to apply. So I do think that it is probably like the most American way that that you can react to the fourth commandment is to ask yourself, how do I get out of it? You know, <laughs> you're given this command to rest. And of course, the thing we want to know is, you know, how strictly enforced is this rest going to be? Right. You know, is there wiggle room? Do we literally have to not work? Do we really have to do this? I think a lot of those questions are questions that that come very naturally to us so that whenever we think about the fourth commandment and we think about the Sabbath, we think about it primarily in terms of strictures, requirements, rules, and and that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's a good point because I certainly thought about it that way growing up and, you know, most of my life in fact, and didn't think about it as rest. It was yeah. it was more like this is a day where you can't do the things that you would rather be
0: doing. Right. right. And I think it's a tragedy that that this is how we approach the question of Sabbath for that reason because we approach it as a big negative and we lose sight of the positive that's in view. So hopefully we'll be able to 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 dig into that positive side of rest and and kind of bring that more to light. Um, One thing that I want to say as well, I think this is worth thinking about too. There's been a huge sea change when it comes to this idea of this day of rest, because there are people living today who can remember when it was very different than it is now. I mean, I still remember growing up, there were still blue laws in effect, and and businesses were not open on Sundays. Um, it wasn't just Chick-fil-A. It was everybody that was closed on Sundays for the most part. And as a result of that, it was pretty easy to at least keep the don't work on the Sabbath part because everything was kind of closed anyway. And you couldn't go out and shop, right? You couldn't go out and do whatever you wanted to do. and so there was a kind of enforced rest you might might say, and all of that is gone. and I think most Christians look at that and think it's it's for the best. you know it's it's probably good that uh, that we don't have this. So, Except
1: for the fact that Chick-fil-A is
0: right. you know, the, still close. There's there's <laughs> that Sundays. right. There's that. I think there are a lot of Christians who are really sad they can't go through Chick-fil-A <laughs> after church. But <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, you know, kind of sharing childhood experiences, when I think about like like what did keeping the Sabbath mean, there's really two things that I can think of. You know, you had you can't work on Sunday, that that was one. And the other one was you have to go to church, right? So there was the thing you couldn't do. And then the thing you had to do, you, you couldn't work and you had to go to church. And I think most Christians, if you ask them now would say, if we said like hard and fast rule, you cannot work on Sunday and you must go to church on Sunday. That sounds like legalism. Mm-hmm. Like if you strictly apply that standard, that sounds like you're asking way too much of people. I think our attitude tends to be that uh, like church attendance on any given Sunday, that, that's ideal. That's great. Uh, if that works out, that's that's cool, but it's not an obligation. Like right? It's ideal, but it's not obligatory. And whether or not you work on Sunday is not really your call. That's your boss's call. Your employer is going to decide when you need to work. And so that's not even in your hands. And so we're in this weird situation where like this very Christian dilemma that's embodied in the, the old film chariots of fire, you know, where you have this guy who's this great runner, but he won't run on Sundays and the whole movie kind of revolves around this dilemma of, you know, how do, how are you a competitive runner who will not compete on the day that the competition is scheduled on that dilemma is so alien to modern Christians. You know, I think it would be baffling to people why this guy wouldn't run on Sunday, because there's all kinds of stuff we would do on Sunday. And it's easy to imagine his pastor, if he lived today, telling him, not only can you run, but you should, because you've been given this gift by God. And when you run, you you feel his glory. And so right. you should do that on the Lord's day. It's probably the best day for you to do this. <laughs> or so we would rationalize, but... Um, Westminster I'm, I'm, Confession takes a different view, you know.
1: Before we go there, can yeah. I I want to clarify a little bit like what do, what do you mean when you say that most of us think that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath and and did away with it? So like in how? You know, how how did Jesus do that or what Yeah. How do we imagine yeah. him doing that at least in our I'm not
0: sure we give exemption. a lot of thought to the how of it. Sure. Um But I think the assumption people have is that in some mysterious way, because it's the New Testament or because Jesus has come, um, all that Sabbath observance stuff was for the Old Testament. And, and, And so you might associate strict Sabbath observance with Old Testament ceremonial law, for example, and think, okay, well, that's been abolished. You might think of Jesus whose disciples, you know, harvest a little for themselves and, and eat on the Sabbath. And he says, well, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And, and you hear that saying of Jesus's and, and you think, well, I think what he's saying there is I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath because it was made for me, not the other way around. And so I think we, we have a tendency to put a lot of weight on a very little <laughs> and assume that it just kind of means what we want it to mean right and so instead of taking that approach i want us to try to think about like what it means to say that the fourth commandment is essentially abolished whether or not that's really true and what keeping the sabbath might actually look like like what what, what maybe we should be doing or enjoying mm-hmm. on the lord's day and so when it comes to that i think <laughs> I, I said already the Westminster Confession has a different view. And, and maybe, uh, maybe we should take a look at that just so you kind of have a, uh, so, some words in your mind. So if you, if you look at chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession, the, the very last section in that chapter, uh, section 8, gives us a little picture of how the Westminster divines envision uh, keeping the Lord's day. So they say this Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand do not only observe an holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy." So there's a lot packed in there. We won't be able to unpack all of it. But just so you get kind of a flavor of the highlights, they're saying that that in order to keep the Sabbath, to observe this day of rest, there should be a rest for the whole day from our work, right? And they say our work, our words, and our thoughts about our worldly employments. But they also say worldly employments and recreations. And that's going to be important in a minute. Okay. And so that's the what-you-shouldn't-do part. But then they also give you the what-you-should-do, and the what-you-should-do is you should be taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of worship. And the only kind of duties that you can perform on this day of rest, they say, are duties of necessity and mercy. So things that must be done and things that are an exercise of mercy, which is also a kind of worship. So if you think about... um, well, like in old Victorian novels, the the you always have that scene where the young privileged ladies, after attending a church service, go and call upon the poor. They visit the people in their cottages and sort of bring them things that they need. Well, what they're doing here is following this kind of a pattern, right? They're going and they are worshiping and then they're spending the the balance of their time doing these works of mercy. Occasionally, there are things that need to be done, but you can also sort of constructively do this work of mercy. So that gives you kind of a picture. It's not just the not working, but it's also the applying ourselves to not just like attending a church service, but spending the entire day devoted to worship, Mm -hmm. setting aside not only our work, but also our worldly recreations as well. So, when you think about that structure, I want to say there's, there's two dilemmas here in Presbyterianism, and they differ based on where you're standing. So there's like a, a dilemma of the Presbyterian pulpit and a dilemma of the Presbyterian pew, let's say. So the pastor has a dilemma, and then the parishioner has a dilemma. And the pastor's dilemma has to do with that word recreations. So when we ordain men into the ministry in the PCA, they're allowed to state differences with the Westminster Standards, and then the Presbytery will judge whether those differences are acceptable or not. And we have a, a more sophisticated way of describing it than acceptable, but, <laughs> but basically we're saying is, is this something you can differ on and then that's okay, or is this difference just beyond the pale? Probably the most commonly stated difference has to do with this idea of recreation on the Lord's Day. And so typically you'll have people say, look, I think it's okay to, you know, you know, throw the football in the front yard or do relaxing things on this day of rest. I think it would surprise a lot of people in the pews that this is even a dilemma. Yeah because most of us look at the day of rest and for us rest and recreation are synonymous there are a lot of people who kind of take for granted that that God literally designed this day of rest for recreation what else would you do if you're meant to be resting and so it's hard to maybe like enter into that dilemma and understand because for the most part people are much farther down that path, right, and you're yeah. no longer thinking too too hard about what the Sabbath requires in order to be observed, and so that difference, I think, comes particularly out of taking seriously a historic view of the Sabbath. Right, we can talk a little bit about why it's it's necessary to take that view. So, uh, the fourth commandments when it is stated in the book of Exodus has with it some explanatory wording where our Sabbath rest is compared to God's rest in the work of creation. For six days, God works. And on the seventh day, he rests. And in that same way, we're to do likewise. We are to work the six days and take the seventh day as a day of rest from our work. And so that is specifically mentioned in the commandment. Now, what's interesting about that is the creation work and the day of God's rest comes before the fall, not after. And all of these conditions of life that are true prior to the fall, in the Reformed tradition, our theologians will talk about those as creation ordinances. Okay. So these are not accommodations to sin. These are not things that uh, God brought in— because of the fall, these are all characteristics of what we might think of as a perfect human environment. And so before sin entered into the world, this idea of rest was one that that existed, one that that we see um, in God's rest. And so the idea that it has been abolished is a little bit harder, right? Because it's easy to see how something introduced as an accommodation to sin could be superseded as you know the the what is good passes away as the perfect comes yeah it's much harder to see how something built into the dna of creation passes away yeah i want to i want to read the passage from
1: genesis 2 because there's something that i noticed about it recently that i hadn't before so this is the beginning of chapter 2 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So just that, that word made, you know, like obviously he's resting here, but all, all the other days he's, he's making things, making creation. And on this seventh day, God blesses it, which is, we know a significant word in this story so far, but then also, you know, declares this thing, like a, like a part of creation, it seems. So I I understand what you're, what you're calling a a creation ordinance. Right. That's what it is. You know, it it seems like it's like baked into the universe kind of a thing. It's not just something that is, is there. Is, Is that what they're
0: getting at? Exactly. Exactly. And so essentially the idea is we're playing a little fast and loose when we tell ourselves that the fourth commandment is just kind of done away with and is no longer applicable or that it has a sort of like power of guidance to it, but not really commandment any longer. It no longer reflects God's holy character, whatever, however you want to put it. It's difficult to square that with the reality that this rest comes before the fall and that the commandment specifically is anchored to that creation reality, the structure of reality. So because of that, historically in Christianity, we, we've taken the fourth commandment very seriously. We've recognized a transformation in it. So there's definitely change. We don't keep the Sabbath the way that they did before Christ. Uh, the day of observance has changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week, from the Saturday to the Sunday. Uh, that's a change that follows uh, Christ's own example in Luke 24, on the day of his resurrection, when he He preaches and he you know administers the word on the Emmaus Road, and then in the breaking of the bread, they know him. So you have this first kind of service of word and sacrament conducted by Jesus himself on the first Lord's Day, and it gives us this precedent for the transformation but not abolishment right there's a continuation there's a continuing expectation that the believers will gather together and worship God together on this day and so that's the the continuity that we see despite the the differences so this is the reason why the Westminster standards uh, take this so seriously and kind of give us this two-part structure to think about. And it's the reason why conscientious Presbyterian pastors are still wrestling with this idea of, you know, what should I do and what should I not do on this day of rest, but but not wrestling with it in a sort of legalistic way, but wrestling with it in the sense of uh, how to enjoy the rest like, what does the rest consist in? Like what are the things that are conducive to the rest that God has called us to, which is a little bit different. So with that in mind, um, maybe we'll put like a historical uh, footnote here that, that this, like if you wanted to dig deeper into this dilemma, You'd want to do a little bit of research in the the argument between the Puritan view of the Sabbath and the continental view of the Sabbath. The Westminster standards, because they come at the end of the confessional age, they reflect sort of the full-orbed Puritan view of Sabbath observance. If you go back earlier in the Reformed tradition, you see in the continental tradition uh, a, a broader view of what is permissible on the Sabbath. Now, a lot of people tell you it, it's still pretty Puritan, <laughs> but but that tends to be kind of the the spectrum on which these these pulpit dilemmas sure. uh, orient. In the pews, though, it's really different. I think in the pews, what most of us are wrestling with are, are more like, is anything required at all? Yeah, you know, that's the question. I I see a lot of people wondering because you know, we, we've kind of taken for granted the idea that recreation is the purpose of the Sabbath. So no one's really, you know, concerned that, that they're not meant to be, you know, recreating. Yeah. It's just, is there other stuff that they need to be doing? And and uh, I think we assume the necessity of work these days. We're sufficiently consumerist in our mindset that the idea that consumption should be be halted even for a 24 hour period is a little difficult to reconcile ourselves to. Uh And when you encounter, you know, businesses closed when you want to do business, it's, you know, frustrating and difficult to appreciate what they're doing uh, again. So the dilemma is not, you know, should I work or can I work on Sunday? We see that as a, a decision for someone else to make it really comes down to, like, do I have to go to church? I think when I hear people kind of thinking through this stuff kind of at the popular level, it's mostly centered on is attending church an obligation or is it just like the ideal? And interestingly, a lot of times I think our, the, the pursuit of recreation under the auspices of rest can be the reason why we don't have the luxury of going to church, right? We, we we can't gather together to worship God because the needs of recreation call us elsewhere. And so those are the kinds what do you of have in questions. Mind you are you well, talking like Little League football or? Yeah, I mean, it could be that. It could be that, you know, the the game is scheduled on Sunday, yeah. you know, and so we can't go there. Um, it could be, you know, like if we're, if we're this isn't a, a South Dakota problem, but if, if we're going to summit the mountain by the end of the day, we have to start, yeah, you know, around right. the time the church is starting, and, yep. and this is the only day we have to yep. do this. So Marathon there's, races. Yeah, yep. there's a lot of things that can come in the way. And the way that we weigh those priorities, I think, we tend to think it'd be great if we were able to get to church. It'd be great if we were able to do that. But, you know, realistically, that just may not be possible this Sunday. So that's kind of the the atmosphere, right, That that we're dealing with here. And and I guess what I want to think about is if that's the condition, like like we have on the one hand, a vision of Sabbath keeping that seems impossibly high. And on the other hand, a reality of Sabbath keeping in our own day that that seems to be like, it's hard to imagine a lower threshold, right? It's hard to imagine if, if we've gotten to the point where um, even like being at church feels like an optional ideal, you know, right. something that, that that hopefully we'll be able to do. Mm-hmm. That we've got quite a bit of distance between those two things. And the question is, how do you bridge that distance? And, and should you? Mm-hmm. Like, I think for a lot of people, maybe you think to yourself, the way things are now might be the best way for things to be. Like, why would we want to change? This seems most convenient to me but i want to suggest that there's a way of thinking through this that would be really beneficial for us so if we go back i think the first thing is to go back to jesus and to think again about those words of jesus when he says that 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 man wasn't made for the sabbath the sabbath was made for man like what is he getting at there now it could be that what he means is this Sabbath stuff—that's just legalism, and we should not worry about it any longer. I don't think that—that's what Jesus is saying. I, I think what he's getting at is more like this: the Sabbath is a gift. Right? The Sabbath is made for man in the sense that this rest is a gift to humanity, something God is giving us. In Hebrews four. Uh, We see that there's a rest that remains for the people of God to enter into. That eschatological rest, well, every Lord's Day, God gives us a taste of that rest that is to come. But he calls us into a, a temporary, a little rest that anticipates the rest that is to come. So in the here and now, we get a little taste of eternity. So that's one thing, like it's a gift. And the question is how to receive this gift, how to make the most of this gift. And the other thing is to think about yourself a little bit and to think about reasons why the Sabbath that might seem most convenient to you might not be the Sabbath that is best for you. And I would suggest in the 21st century, we are so consumer-oriented. We are so, uh, even now, like, like so mostly online but it's not unusual for people to talk about how they've lost track of what day it is, you know, trying to remember like, what day is this again? And in an environment like that, maybe we need this special set apart day more than ever. Right. I think that that disorientation that we often feel in our own time testifies that there may be something about this gift that we of all people need to receive.
1: I've, I've heard people lately making similar arguments related to burnout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is a particular facet of our time. Maybe, I don't know. And I mean, you know, people have always worked hard, but we have this word that we're throwing around that people are just getting really exhausted that, you know, we're, we're overworking ourselves and And I've seen Christians then responding and saying, well, you know, there's this thing called Sabbath (laughs) where you can stop, you know, you can stop your working and that this is a gift from God. God, God is calling you into it. And I, I know some pastors who are, who are using that angle to invite Christians into observing Sabbath. And I think it's clicking with a lot of people. They're like, oh yeah, I'm not just a consumer, nor am I just a producer, you know, ultimately I'm not either of those things. I am a, I'm a child of God. Yeah. being invited into that. I'm place. a human. I'm a human. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs>
0: I, I th- yeah, I think, you know, th- that, that sort of like built in resistance to the idea of required rest is a sign of how much you might need it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like uh, if you're a truck driver and and you're not allowed by law to drive over a certain number of hours, you'll yeah. see, you know, semis pulled over on the side of the road or in a rest area because you, you have to take that mandated rest and you know just given the nature of things that that's frustrating like for the guy who who has used up all of his hours and is forced to rest he'd probably rather get going right and accomplish more and 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 use that time more effectively the problem is of course like you say burnout the problem is that that as a human being you you need that rest built into your reality so i think that's very suggestive to us, right? Like if we're, if we're trying to think, like how should we think about the Sabbath, then that idea that we might need this rest, that, that especially now it might be good for us is something we've got to take seriously. I think we also need to think about that conflict between recreation and rest, that maybe they're not synonymous. Like maybe the fact that recreation does so often come between the, the need for worship and the need to do those those works of necessity and and mercy that we should rethink recreation a little bit and and I'll say like my my biases do lean more in the continental direction, not so much though that I feel like I can look at the the Westminster wording here and say, "Well, this is wrong, this should be looser like um when I read these words, I see an ideal being set out that it's hard for me to fault you know i i don't see people keeping this description of the sabbath and say boy that sounds like a a breeding ground for legalism i see something really beautiful in in that observance and so i i think it's 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 something to reconsider you know and think instead of thinking of like the requirements of sabbath to return to it as gift Think about the way that Christ sort of positions it as this gift of rest, and think of it as something we're meant to enjoy. Like, we're meant to benefit from this rest, not to see it as an obligation. And I think the more observant we are, the more we benefit. And the more we limit our observance, the more we kind of try to undo the, the, the rules. In a sense, the more we limit our ability to benefit, mm-hmm. right? So I think however you land on this, don't enter into the question of Sabbath rest, trying to minimize how, like how much of the day can God monopolize, Yeah, you know, instead kind of enter into it thinking like how much of the rest can I have for myself?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Do you think it's, do you think it's fair or or warranted to see certain acts of recreation as maybe not rest, but worship? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's also that that Protestant or Lutheran Protestant perspective that all things can be done to the glory of God. All things can be worship. Right. So sometimes that's how I've, you know, thought about a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I, I can worship God kind of, throwing the football or relaxing in the backyard, you know,
0: whatever's going on. And I think, right. And I think that that's, I mean, that's kind of the lines of that sort of argument, you know, like, like surely these are forms of rest, you know? And so that's, that's definitely an argument that has merit in my mind. Here's the thing that gives me pause though, because I think a lot of times the same arguments are applied to like, like why maybe I don't need to worship at all this Lord's day. Right. Uh-huh. You know, so, so we have this clear indication that, that what is expected of us is that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that the most important thing that we can do on the Lord's day is to worship him. And yet we find all of these rationales for not doing that. And I think a, a, a really easy kind of rationale to adopt is that idea that, that literally anything I do is worship, you know? So if, if you guys are all gathered together, you know, praising God together and, and I'm already on the road on my way to whatever my recreational plan is, I'm just sort of worshiping him differently this time around. And, and I think that sort of, for me, it raises suspicion. Like, like you know, is this a a principle, like a beautiful idea of all of life as worship that we are embodying? Are we using it as a kind of cheap excuse to let ourselves off the hook? You know, and I worry that it's too much the latter. But I, I think of myself and I think of the way I, I use that kind of reasoning. Um, I, I want to be more suspicious of that. You know, I, I, I feel like... Um, we're always looking for the, the way to justify the bare minimum. Yeah. You know, and so I don't think you you derive the the benefits of the gift that you've been given by by trying to you know fence it in in quite that way. And and I also think too, like if if it's true that the fourth commandment refers back to creation as a way of, you know, God has structured the weak, he's structured our timekeeping in such a way that this rest is part of the structure, then I think we're justified in structuring our lives so that we can enter into that rest. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the choices that you need to make in life so that you can do that are choices that you can make. I mean, it is possible to, you know, proactively arrange your affairs so that you can do this and and maybe given how woven in the fabric of of creation it is it would be worth doing that worth taking that seriously you know it's again i realize times change you know when i was a kid you went to church three times a week and you know on wednesday night the pastor always said the real christians are the ones who show up on wednesday night and and now it can feel like a burden that you have to go to church on a Sunday morning every single week, you know? I mean, that's so much to ask. And and so I get that. But again, we're not thinking in terms of requirements. We're thinking in terms of benefits and how to enjoy the rest that has been given to us as a gift. I can understand, like, especially if this is all new to you, the idea of, you know, going to chapter 21, section eight of the Westminster Confession and saying, well, okay, starting next Sunday, this is what I'm gonna do. That may feel like, like too big a stretch. Mm-hmm. I understand that, but um, I think, I just wanna say like, what I see happening in the lives of people around me, I think even if you don't get there all at once, any little step closer to rest is a step in the right direction. Like whatever you can do to claw back some of that time, to to actually experience some of that rest, to spend that time in worship, to spend that time in, in service, that's worth it. You know, so I'm not saying, hey, you're a bad person if you don't, you know, starting next Sunday, resolve to do things this way. I'm just saying for your own benefit and for your own blessing, strive to enter into that rest. Yeah. I that's a good point. You know, I, I think back to the
1: the passage Genesis 2. It's, it says God blessed the day. There's a blessing there to be had for us humans and I think back as well to a few times where Jenny and I my wife and I we were trying to make some changes in our lives to better observe the Sabbath, to enter into the rest and and we never set up, you know, we we've never done it perfectly ever and we've never like done the same thing for like a long period of time, but there were, there were weeks where we were like, all right, let's, let's do this. Like only worship and rest all day. Like, and, and let's turn off our phones all day. Let's, you know, not do X, Y, and Z. And what we found is that it was actually great. You know, I I mean, it's, it, it makes no sense to think about the day as all, you know, these things that I can't be doing, seeing it as a gift, seeing it as rest, Enables you to, well, like you said, it it helps you see that you're human and then, and then you realize, oh yeah. And humans need rest. Humans are made for
0: this. So it's, it's for our good ultimately. Yeah. I think, you know, like if I were going to sum it all up and kind of say, okay, here, here's what we're really talking about. I want to emphasize that idea of full humanity. Like scripture is saying like, this is part of what we were made for and part of the way in which the world was made for our benefit. So, the pursuit of rest is part of the pursuit of full humanity. And if we neglect that, we're neglecting something that that was made for us, something that we were made to inhabit and to enter into. So, I think in the same way that we aspire to all of these good blessings that are promised to us in the gospel, we aspire to enter that rest that has been promised. And so, that's the spirit in which I want to urge like a, a, a reconsideration and a reevaluation. Like, Like, maybe it's time to think about how to enter that rest and to enjoy that rest more. And if you're at that point, then the Westminster Standards and, and the conversation that we've had here, I think, offer a lot of resources to reflect on how you might enjoy that rest. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you are curious about the Westminster Confessions teaching on Sabbath observance, we'll include a link to the relevant chapter in the show notes. Also, if you're interested in the concept of creation ordinances and would like to dig deeper into that, we'll include a link to John Murray's classic book, Principles of Conduct, Aspects of Biblical Ethics. I hope we've given you plenty to think about in this episode, and I hope you'll join us next time. Until then, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.